The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For, uh, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we thank you for your word and for, for the words that you've given to us in the book of Acts. Um, we ask that you would uh, speak to us today in this service and speak to us through Randall, that you would uh, guide his words, that they would uh, reach into our hearts and that you would move with your spirit uh, that we would know you better through the message today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Craig. Uh, welcome. It's our six-year anniversary. And um, for me, uh, I'm the founding pastor, but uh, really just uh, a person who loves Jesus. Uh, being a part of this has been so humbling uh, to see how God's worked over the past six years uh, for me and my family being here uh, from the start and uh, knowing that it wasn't just us, but many people who've been a part of this church uh, along the way. And so Billy and Mary, that uh, they lead at worship up here and they traveled across the country to be a part of this. There are different families that came to be a part of this um, over the years and just being able to see you know, we don't, we don't make it up. Like, we really were in a garage uh, when we started. Uh, and so just seeing the band there and some of the things that God has done over the years has uh, been really incredible. Uh, but, you know, as you think about uh, anniversaries or the start of something, I think it's always helpful to remember why something started. Why uh, are we here as a church body? And I believe that over the years what I've seen is that it's, it's not just being in San Diego, uh, but it's, it's much more than that. It's not just being a church, but it's, it's much more than that. It's not just gathering on a Sunday morning, but it's much more than that. Um, I believe that it's seeing God change lives. You know, for me, that's really emotional because that's my son, uh, and we were able to baptize him right here in this courtyard. And so it's not just uh, other people's lives, but it's our lives that are changing in the process and I praise God for all that he's done. And so we'll continue to, to celebrate and praise God for all of that. Um, and what better way than tacos, right? What better way than tacos? So we're going to be doing that today. And I do want to say that um, we had budgeted a certain amount of money for how we were going to celebrate. And uh, we were like, we, we can't afford tacos. And so I, I was... I, I called our friend Martine, who's out there right now cooking. I said, um, you know, we'd love to have you, but our budget, um, we just don't have that in the budget right now. Because he sent us a quote, and he, he called back. He said, um, you guys are 
a valued customer and we appreciate you guys. And so we've had him in the past. He says, I want to give it to you for that, that budget. And that was like half of what we, he asked for the quote. And so that was like such a gracious thing. And so please like, um, Thank, thank him as you're going through today. That was such a blessing to our church and such an encouragement. And if you ever need a taco person, like talk to Martin. He's the best. Get him. Uh, but we love him and we are so thankful uh, for him as well. Uh, so we're going to continue in the book of Acts. And we're talking about the church and what the church uh, was like from the beginning, from the start. And so as we've been journeying through, we've been looking at the heart of the church, that, that Jesus is the founder uh, of the church, and ultimately it's all about him. He's the pastor. He's the shepherd. He's the one that guides and leads. And so we've been seeing God do amazing things through the early church. And that continues to today. And so we can learn from what happened then and also how that informs us today. So if you've got your Bibles, again, we're in Acts 17. We're looking at verses 16 through 21. And uh, before I jump in, um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some guest preachers, uh, which I'm really excited about. Next week, um, I'm going to be preaching at New Vision Church, uh, but my friend John Roper from Crew is going to be preaching next week and really helping us to dive into what Paul's preaching here at the Areopagus. And then the next week, uh, my friend Jeff Shu is going to be preaching because I'm going to be at the crew retreat uh, for the students there uh, preaching. And so it's a real great honor for me to be able to be at those different things. Uh, but I have asked some different friends to come in and be a part of uh, this Acts study. And so John and then Jeff Shu, uh, he's the, the founder of Flourish. Um, and Jeff is the perfect person because we're going to be talking about in Acts 18 about faith and work. And so Jeff's going to be preaching on that that week. Now, let's jump into today. So our message in Acts 17 is the search for new life. The search for new life. David Foster Wallace, who was an author, uh, was giving a commencement speech in 2005. And he said this. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. What was he saying? What, what was he trying to pull out here? Because he wasn't a Christian. But there was something that he was trying to get deep down to the, 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 be beneath the surface to help us understand he says that we all worship something. In the speech, he mentions to these students, some worship money. Others worship beauty, intellect, power. He was identifying something that was real in our everyday life. And it wasn't from a Christian worldview. But he said that whatever you worship, whatever you choose to worship will either crush you or it can heal you. Crush you or heal you. In today's text, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey and he's made it to the city of Athens. 
Commentator John Polhill writes that Paul's brief visit to Athens is a centerpiece for the entire book of Acts. This is an important part of the narrative. It says, Athens was considered the cultural and intellectual center of the Roman Empire. And what Paul sees here, while in Athens, I think in many ways should guide us in our lives of how we search for and see where life is truly found. In Acts 17, 16, here's what it says. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them, and so we see that Paul goes ahead to Athens. He's waiting for his friends, Silas and Timothy. While he's at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul saw that worshiping, worship was happening all around him. It's literally saying that the city was smothered with idols. Now this word idol might seem archaic to some of us. Or we might pigeonhole it and say it means this certain type of thing. But idolatry and idols actually have a very broad meaning. In the Ten Commandments, God gives us an insight into what idols really are. You can find it in Exodus 20 when he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And here's what he says, you shall have no other gods before me. What he's saying is that we will worship something. It's in our DNA. It's it's who we've been created to be. We, We are worshipers. And so God's command was worship no other gods before me. Timothy Keller explains, an idol is anything more fundamental than God to our happiness, meaning life, and identity. It is making a good thing into an ultimate thing. Idolatry is an inordinate desire of even something good. Idols are not only personal and individual, they are also corporate and cultural. I've heard idols are taking a good thing and making it a God thing. And God's words tell us that in many ways we live a life that will end up hollow if there's not something deeper beneath the surface. And so in today's text, how is Jesus better than idols? Well, again, we're in Acts 17, 16 through 21, and that's where we'll be today, breaking down this text. But what we see here is there is a search for meaning and life and that the Apostle Paul is saying that new life can be found in Jesus. We see that this new life can be found in three ways. And so we're going to break down today's text. The first one is by understanding, number one, that there is an endless search. There's an endless search. Number two, there's a surprising answer. And number three, that there's a grander narrative. The endless search, the surprising solution, the grander narrative. So number one, the endless search. Look at verses 16 through 18. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those 
who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. What's happening here? Well, first, it says that something is happening not just outwardly to the Apostle Paul. He's not just in the city, but there's something that's happening inside of Paul. It said he's provoked. There's something he's provoked within him. It's the same word used in the Old Testament when it says that the Lord was provoked when the Israelites worshipped idols. Paul was feeling some sort of way. Paul was feeling what God feels. What God feels. His heart was becoming more and more like God's. And as he saw the city, as he looked around, his heart started to hurt. Now, why is it important that we understand such deep emotion happening within the Apostle Paul? Because as he looked around, he saw that there was an empty pursuit for the people that were around him. Their search would be an endless search, a continual search. There's something interesting here, and I think this is really what holds this section together. It's really helpful because the apostle, or, or the apostle Paul, like within him, there's something happening, and, and for us to really get to know what's happening, we gotta get beneath the surface. And so Luke talks about when the apostle Paul saw the city. He uses a word here for the word saw. And he could have used a certain word in the, the Greek language, the, the word blepo, but he uses another word here because that just means to survey and see something. No, the word that he uses here is thoreo. Thoreo. Now, why is that important? It's saying that the Apostle Paul didn't just see on the surface what was happening because he's in Athens. There's art, there's culture, there's music, there, there's people going from place to place. It's high energy. There's a lot happening within Athens. He didn't just see what's happening, but it says thoreo, which means he saw beneath what was happening. He saw under what was happening. He saw much deeper than just the facade of what's happening all around him in the city. See, it's easy for us to get caught up in the hustle and bustle, isn't it? Like there's, there's things that are around us. There's, we live in an amazing city. And we're not like humble about it either, are we? <laughs> America's finest city, San Diego. We, we, we really love San Diego. And a lot of people do too. A lot of people travel, come. Great food. Beautiful sunsets. The beaches are amazing. It's San Diego. It's a beautiful city. The hustle and bustle of things that are happening all around. But is that everything? Are we just seeing the the blepo, right, the surface, or is it the theoreo, 
Because as the Apostle Paul sees that it's, what, what is it that makes up the city? Yes, there's diversity. Yes, there's culture. Yes, there's all of these amazing things that are happening. This is the, the, the epicenter of Roman culture. But there's a spiritual emptiness. It's much like when Jesus comes upon the shore in Mark 6, 34. It says this, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Do you see what's happening inside of the Apostle Paul? Is that God has changed him so that his heart is becoming like God's heart. And he's seeing beneath the facade of everything that's around him and saying there's something much deeper to life than just enjoying what's around me right now. See, what do you see when you see our city? What do you see when you see your school? What do you see when you see your workplace? What do you see when you see your neighborhood? At the end of the day, do you see the, the people that are there? Do you see the pursuits? Do you see the emptiness? The reality is that depression is on the rise, suicide is on the rise, anxiety is on the rise more and more. People are hurting. And many times in big cities, we come to the city to consume the city, to use the city, to enjoy the city, and just to be amongst the people, the crowds. Paul is coming into the city with the heart of God. Next, we see the pursuits of the people that are around. Um, really, the emptiness. The idolatry was an endless search for meaning. Paul starts to engage these different groups of people. It says that he goes to the synagogue. And so first, he goes to uh, what was familiar to him, the Jewish people there, the devout people uh, who loved religion. They loved following uh, some type of God, right? So the Jewish uh, People would have believed the very similar, the, the same thing, the Old Testament. They would have believed in the God of, of the Old Testament, what we would say is the Bible. And so they had this pursuit, right? They, they were devout people there. But here's the thing about religious people, devout people, is they can gather information about God but not know God. And so it's interesting. There was a quote that should be, I think, haunting in many ways by a lady named Flannery O'Connor in her book, Wise Blood. She said, there was a, already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. I want you to think about that for a minute. There was already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. In many ways, we can gather information about God, but miss out on Jesus, miss out on God himself. And there's this temptation within religion. We can grow up in the church all our lives and not really know who Christ is. And so there's this group of people that the Apostle Paul is speaking to, the Jewish and the devout people, and saying, will you see Jesus? Secondly, he goes to the marketplace, and, and there, 
It's, it's a group of people that we talked a little bit about last week, uh, the Stoics and the Epicureans. And again, for the Stoics, they were virtuous people. They were good people. They were the people that, that said, I want to live a good life. I want to be a good person. One Stoic philosopher, Seneca, said, let virtue lead the way, then every step will be safe. There are people that, maybe even today, we believe that it's all about just being a good person, a virtuous person. And there's some great qualities about that. But is that what Jesus came to proclaim? For some of us, we think, yeah, that's what Jesus came to proclaim. He just wants me to be a good person. But no, that's not it. It's not just to be a virtuous person. It's not just about your behavior, but it's about you, your heart and my heart. And that's what Paul is trying to get to, is he's trying to get beneath the surface to the heart. The Stokes believed it was just on the surface. And it's just on the outward, just being a good person, being virtuous. There's another group of people, the Epicureans. They were all about pleasure. At the Epicurean school, the motto inscribed on the gate read this, stranger, you would do good to stay a while, for here the highest good is pleasure. Again, what's at the gates of San Diego? In many ways, it's that same thing, right? Take in the, the pleasures of the city. Take in all the goodness that it has. That's why we're here. For some of us, we stay our whole lives in that world and thinking that that's what my life is about. There's this old book that came out in 1945. It's a novel called The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. It was written by a man named uh, Bruce Marshall. And he writes about this man, Father Smith. And he talks about one day Father Smith was walking down the street and he encounters this beautiful young woman named Miss Dana Agdala. Uh, she asks, she says, priest, tell me, do you get much response to the old, old story these days? For her, she was more of a modernist. She'd rejected uh, what she said was the, the poppycock, old 1945, right? Poppycock about baptism and purity and the virgin birth, you know, that Jesus stuff. But of course, it's all against modern science. Among her many questions, she built this judgment against him and the silliness of his faith. And uh, Miss Agdala uh, talks about all of the things that she had done and all the, the things that she's enjoyed in life. And she just basically said that religion was a substitute for pleasure. Father Smith encounters and says this. He says, I still prefer to believe that the young man who rang, rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. There's an emptiness to that pleasure. It's the thing inside of us that keeps going back and back and back and back and back and saying it never fills. The point is, man desperately seeks God, even in the most ungodly places. So friends, if you found yourself in ungodly places, I want you to know that today there's something deep in you, beneath the surface, beneath the behavior, beneath all of those things, that endless search that there is something more and you're still looking for it. Idolatry comes in many forms. And at the end of the day, it's an endless search. 
Second, the surprising solution. Look at verse 18. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Now, what's happening here? Well, first, their assessment of Paul was that he was a babbler. He was a babbler. This meant that his beliefs were incoherent to them. Didn't make sense. Uh, most likely, he was sharing about the gospel. In many ways, the gospel is about how God created the world, how, how there was a, a fall, that, that sin enters the world, that there's redemption through Jesus, that, that there's a renewal that starts to happen in our lives, that there's a restoration, and that this isn't it, that there will be a, a new heaven and a new earth. And so they're listening to what Paul is saying, and it makes no sense to them. They're like, what, what is he babbling on about? It's incoherent. It doesn't make sense. This was new information for them. They'd never heard this before. Now, for some of us today, the things that I just talked about might seem completely foreign. It might seem like I've never heard that before. What does that mean? For others of us, it's like, yeah, I grew up understanding that. I grew up knowing that. That, that, that story makes sense to me. But I want you to know that right now, more and more, we don't live in a generation that can connect the dots and say, yeah, there was a creation where God created all things. There was a fall of man. We're sinning into the world. There was all this connection of, yeah, and that's why Jesus came. The, the, friends, you and I are living in a generation where we're growing more and more where there is no dots. There's no dots to connect. This is new information. And what I want you to know is that the gospel then that was preached, that Paul's preaching was good enough then and it's good enough now. That message of the story that God was telling, the narrative that he was telling back then is, was good then and it's good now. Because it made sense, more sense to some of the Jewish listeners who were hearing. It made less sense to people where it was new. One of the things that they said is he's preaching foreign divinities. As we see, Paul's solution for life was Jesus and the resurrection. And, and this was not easy for people to understand. It seemed like nonsense to them. And this teaching ultimately did not originate in the higher places of learning, right? They were used to the higher places of learning. This is where the, the city of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. But Jesus? Jesus from some small town, not a city? It maybe in many ways it seemed very backwards, uneducated to them. This message was an unlikely message, not based on pride, but based on humility. And it wasn't going to make sense. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24, the Apostle Paul says this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. What's he saying here? He's saying that this message, which I'm preaching, which I'm proclaiming, is 
not going to make sense to everybody. But it actually takes something much deeper beneath the surface, a calling, a stirring, where God starts to stir your heart. Here's the thing. Just like the Apostle Paul and just like today, if there's not a stirring that happens from God in your heart, my words are just words. But it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit and God working through the words that start to stir in your heart and start to make this message that seems like folly and foolishness start to make sense. Start to make sense. It takes humility. Saying, Lord, teach me, humble me. I want to know who you are, really. I want to know who you are. Lastly, it's the grand narrative. Look, look at verses 19 through 20. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. What does it mean? What, what is all of this stuff that you're saying, what does that mean? See, why is Paul in Athens? Why is he there? What, what is it beneath the surface that brought Paul to Athens? As we've been studying through the book of Acts, we're seeing that it's not guided by what they thought was the best plan, but it was actually God guiding them to where they needed to be. Paul didn't end up there by accident. He ended up there because God brought him there. Here's the beauty, is that there's a grander narrative that's happening. There's a grander narrative that's unfolding. And it's this, that God sent him there. He's not there by accident or mistake. But yet at times, I'm sure it felt like an accident or mistake that he was there. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever gone to, through something? Have you ever been put into positions or places and you thought, this feels like an accident to me. I don't know why I'm here right now. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't belong here. Why? It's this. Paul is the living proof of a grander narrative. He says that Jews demand signs. You want to know what the sign is? The sign is that the Apostle Paul was on his way to go kill and murder Christians. That's the sign. He was on his way to go do that. He was on his way to go wreak havoc on the church. But yet, he comes back knowing Jesus. You remember what we, we saw in the, the book of Acts? It said that, Jesus came to Paul and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Hold on, I thought Paul was persecuting the church and the Christians. No, Jesus took it personally. He says, no, Paul, you are persecuting me. It's my church. And Paul says, Lord, who are you? And from that moment, Paul as he meets Jesus, was struck blind, had to be humbled, had to be led by the hand. And the sign was that there was a guy who was, he says, the Hebrew of Hebrews. If you want to know the path that he was on, he says he's the Hebrew of Hebrews. You want a sign? The Hebrew of Hebrews just became a Christian and met Jesus. 
and did something that any good Jew wouldn't have done. If Jesus was just a man, they would not have worshipped him because they knew that he, was, he would have been an idol. Just another idol. No, God said there's, there's no other gods before me. Paul knew that. No other gods. Do you know why he comes to Jesus? Because he knows that he is the living God. He is the God. He is the sign. And now Paul is being sent into this city as the sign to the Jews. But also, this foolishness, but truly the wisdom of God coming to the Greeks, the thing that they were seeking. Here's what we need to understand is that the grand narrative is that God searches for the lost. God searches for the lost. The grander narrative is built on, upon the God who searches. The gospel is this. The good news is this, that in all your searching, in all my searching, could you believe that God was searching for you? Could you believe that God was searching for you? He was searching for you in your religious pursuits. He was searching for you in your virtuous pursuits of trying to good, be a good person. He was searching for you and me in our pleasure-seeking lives. God wanted to meet us in what we thought was our best life and in what we thought was our worst moments. The grander narrative is that God is searching for us in those places. In all our searching, God was searching for us. It says that they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Here's the thing. The Areopagus was the place of learning, was the place where all of the ideas were brought and laid before the people. This was the big stage. This was the spot where Paul is being brought and saying, okay, this babbler, this, this person who has these incoherent thoughts that don't make sense, we're going to put you up on the stage. We want to listen to you. We want to hear what you have to say. And, and, and Paul gives us hints of, of, of why they were doing this. They wanted to bring him up there In some ways to poke holes into what he thought and almost in, in a way to say look at this fool and what he believes in his different ideas but what we see is that Paul says Jesus is the end of the search for meaning and I'm willing to look like a fool in front of you I'm willing to look like a traitor in front of the Jews I'm willing to come up in front of everyone and say that Jesus, he's Lord, he's king. He's better than any idol that you can worship in this city. The end of their, your search is in Christ. And so just some takeaways as we think about this for our own lives today. What does new life in Jesus look like for me? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for us? Well, first, I think it's understanding the question from God. The question from God. The question can be summed up like this. What are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? 
You know, there's a lot of things that we can worship. One of the things that my friend, Sal, when we, before we first started, I mean, his wife, Caitlin, their family have been a big part of our church. They're, the, the thing with Sal is he, he, he doesn't hold punches. He, 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 he looked him in the eye. He says, Randall, what if the church doesn't last? You know, you're planting this church, but what, what if it doesn't make it or whatever? And he, he's one of those guys that would just say it like it is. And he's looking me in the eye. He's like, Randall, what happens? I say, as long as we do what God calls us to do, I'm here to worship him. It's about Jesus. And you know what? Great city, it might come and it might go. But Jesus, he doesn't come and go in my life. See what happens sometimes even for pastors? Start worshiping the church. Start worshiping results. Start worshiping all this other stuff that isn't Jesus. Is that what we base our life on? What do you base your life on? And let me ask, is it healing you or hurting you? Whatever you're worshiping right now, is it healing you or is it hurting you? My hope is whatever God asks me to do, it's bringing me and drawing me closer to him, not further away. Jesus said, you can gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. Yet forfeit your soul. Why does he say that? He says, because we're so tempted to worship other things other than him. When the whole time he looked at us and said, the most important thing is that you know me, that you know what's beneath the surface, and that I love you, not based on anything that you can do, but solely based on what God has done for you. Right? One quote, David Pallison, he helps us to think about this. He says, the most basic question which God continually poses to each human heart, has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? Is a question bearing on the immediate motivation of one's behavior, thoughts, and feelings. In the Bible's conceptualization, the motivation question is the lordship question. Who or what rules my behavior, the Lord or an idol? Are we willing to come to that place and ask that question? Lord, what am I worshiping? And is it you? Second, the emptiness of new. Look at verse 21. It says, now all the Athenians and foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They loved the new stuff. Here's the thing. We do too. It might not just be new ideas, but new things, possessions, whatever they might be. Are we being consumed by what's new and the thrill of new? Because there is an emptiness to new. Being in a new city, being in a new school, being in a new job, new company, new friends, new relationship. What this points out is that there is a preoccupation with new that ultimately fades and will leave us empty. It will leave us empty. And so the question is, 
Are we on that pursuit of continually looking for new experiences and things? Because it might give an indicator of what we're truly worshiping. Right? They were worshiping ideas, philosophies. Third, the reality of idols. There's a lot of things that we can worship. Work, beauty and image, family. I do want to say something about this. You know, in the church, family can become idolatrous. It can. It can become about a perfect marriage. It can become about kids, family. It can become about a lot of different things. And I want you to know, the, the Apostle Paul is preaching this thing, preaching these things as a single man who didn't have any of those things in, in this life. He wasn't living for idols. He was living for Christ. And the things that we've believed in our culture that make us who we are, whether it be our job, work, what we look like, our family, our possessions, all of these things will end up empty. Money, money can become idolatrous. Control, control, here's the thing. Control will reveal itself in a lot of different ways. The, the idol of control comes in perfectionism. It comes in anxiety. See, perfection, perfectionism is thinking that we control our lives. And that we can control our lives. And it's idolatrous. Anxiety, we're unable to control our circumstances. And so we're stressed out. I'm not talking about the medical side of that because I think there's a medical side to the anxiety that can rise up in our lives. But I'm saying if we simply think that we can control our lives, and we're filled with anxiety because of that, it can come out in a lot of different ways. And all of these things are beneath the surface. All of these things are the theoreo. And so I want to encourage you with the last one. The narrative is not over. God is writing stories in our lives like he did the Apostle Paul. And, and the fact that you believe in Christ, the fact that you go out and live into the world differently, with Christ at the center, whatever it may be, whatever people might look at you and say, oh, that's foolish. Why do they live that way? Why do they look that way? Why, why is their life in that trajectory? It might feel like you're on the stage of the Areopagus and people are looking at you saying, how foolish is that? But knowing that in that story, there's a God underneath all of it looking at you that says, I love you. And it's better for, for you to know me than to gain the whole world. First Peter 3, 15 says, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. How did Paul come into the city? He actually comes in with gentleness and respect, and you'll see that next week. It's not guns blazing, but it's saying, 
I believe that Jesus is true, even if I don't make sense to you, even if my life doesn't make sense to you. For the Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. What's the gospel today? That God came searching for you and he did it through what was considered as foolish and weak. Why? So that he could meet you and me in our foolishness and our weakness. And in that place, the gospel becomes real for us. And in that place, the word of God, the script for life, becomes flesh. In that place, our search is over. Are you still searching today? Are you still asking, why am I here? Will you come to Jesus today and find the healing that only he can provide? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word and how you speak to us. We thank you that your word is true and it brings life. And so I pray, God, that through your power, through your strength, you help us to understand through your Holy Spirit's power that you connect the dots or that you write those dots in there and help us to understand in ways that we couldn't have understood otherwise. You speak to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.